listening to the Agent Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel, and we are back with another Friday Five episode. It's July 14th. We are smack dab in the middle of summer. We're kind of acclimating to the heat, and we're kicking off this episode with some good news about inflation. So that's where we will start this week at number one. And yes, you did hear that correctly. Good news about inflation. The Consumer Price Index numbers for June 2023 came out this week, and it was good news. Inflation for the month of June 2023 came in at a 0.2% increase from May 2023, which, again, just fantastic news. Looking at the year-over-year data, prices climbed just 3% when comparing from June 2022 to June 2023. It's the best CPI report we've gotten since March 2021, and when I say best, I mean the slowest rate of change. I know we've all been feeling the rising costs of just about everything, so to see this number come in at 3% with food and fuel included, well, hopefully we are moving towards stabilization. Also, important to mention, the core consumer price index that removes food and fuel costs also came in at a 0.2% increase from May 2023 numbers. And then comparing the June 2023 numbers to June 2022, the core index came in at a 4.8% increase, and that is the lowest year-over-year increase we've seen since August 2021. Now, while these numbers are a good sign that we're getting the economy back on track, it's going to be a slow process of recovery. We will have to wait and see what those numbers mean for pending interest rate adjustments later this month. In June, the Federal Open Market Committee decided to keep interest rates the same. The FOMC is set to meet again in two weeks on July 25th and 26th. Number two, on Monday this week, Dr. Mandy Cohen was sworn in as the new director of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Cohen has worked for various government healthcare agencies, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and most recently, the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, and now the CDC. She brings a combination of experience in both healthcare and public policy to the office, aligning with many of the healthcare policies set forth by the current Biden-Harris administration. Cohen is the 20th CDC director, taking the reins from Dr. Rochelle P. Walensky, who praised Cohen's resume, saying that her previous career experiences, quote, make her perfectly suited to lead CDC as it moves forward by building on the lessons learned from COVID-19 to create an organization poised to meet public health challenges of the future, end quote. Number three. They say that every generation has its cringe. And when it comes to caffeine-related cringe, well, I'm currently having a full circle moment. 
For my generation, in our youth, Jolt Cola was the ultimate caffeine experience. It contained 5.9 milligrams of caffeine per fluid ounce, so a 12-ounce can contained 71 milligrams of caffeine per can. For comparison, a regular-sized Red Bull energy drink contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. And then in the coffee world, a 12-ounce cold brew from Starbucks has 155 milligrams of caffeine. And I am going somewhere with this, I promise. Many of us who grew up with Jolt Cola were either advised not to drink it or outright banned from drinking it, either by way of our parents or simply shopkeepers who would not sell it to kids. Recently, another high-caffeine drink has found itself in controversial waters. Prime, the drink company founded by Logan Paul and KSI, two YouTubers who are no stranger to controversy themselves. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is calling on the FDA to investigate the company. His argument is that the brand is advertising their products to children and that the warning label on the can is not enough. 12-ounce cans of Prime Energy contain 200 milligrams of caffeine. And as I just mentioned, they do contain a warning label that the drink is not meant for those under the age of 18, for women pregnant or nursing, or for people who are sensitive to caffeine. Now, in all fairness, Prime does make more than one product under that name. Energy, which has the caffeine content I just mentioned, and Hydration, which is a sports drink containing no caffeine. And then they also sell hydration sticks similar to Liquid IV and Drip Drop. When I first heard the story, my initial thought was, well, maybe they've got it mixed up. Maybe the kids really are just drinking the sports drink that comes in a bottle, not the energy drink that comes in cans. My 10-year-old daughter quickly put an end to that naive assumption. She mentioned that kids from her school know Prime as an energy drink. Some have tried it for themselves or have heard of it through older siblings. And when I looked it up on social media, there does seem to be a weird sort of status symbol to collecting the cans. Apparently, it's not that easy to find in stores, and when something is hard to find, that only increases the desire to find it and show it off, especially in photo form. Now, I can't say that it's uncommon for kids to want to try the latest and trendiest thing, or even collect and display cans. I think everyone has done that. It's not really exclusive to one generation. But the caffeine content is high. It's a concerning amount, and while kids are growing, it's just not a good idea to consume that much caffeine. But then on the other hand, I feel like while we're talking about prime energy and the level of caffeine there— The exact same amount can be found in Celsius energy drinks. There's more in other brands of energy drinks, but those are less vibrantly colored and not marketed by a popular YouTuber. So we'll see what happens if Schumer succeeds in getting the FDA to investigate his claims. But if you didn't know about Prime, well, 
now you know. And you can pass that knowledge along so all of us can adult and successfully parent our kids. Cue that glittery rainbow star. Number four, a quick update here. The last time I mentioned student loan forgiveness here on the podcast was when the Supreme Court placed an injunction on Biden's original plan. On Friday, June 30th, the Supreme Court officially blocked the original program, essentially stating that the method the administration originally used to try and pass the legislation didn't really equate to a waiver. In the official ruling, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote, quote, The Secretary's comprehensive debt cancellation plan cannot fairly be called a waiver. It not only nullifies existing provisions, but augments and expands them dramatically. However broad the meaning of waive or modify, that language cannot authorize the kind of exhaustive rewriting of the statute that has taken place here, end quote. But if you thought that was the end of student loan forgiveness, it is not. For my generation, this is a hot-button campaign issue because A lot of us carry immense amounts of student loan debt, and quite honestly, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we were sold the concept of a future that could only contain success if it included said four-year college degree. Thankfully, that rhetoric is starting to change, and student loan forgiveness could still happen. Only this time, it looks like the administration will be taking their proposed legislation through the powers vested in the Higher Education Act. As more details emerge on what that legislation might look like, we will certainly report back here. Number five, we are now less than six weeks away from the Ritter Summits our yearly series of conferences that kicks off the annual enrollment period. Each summit features our CEO, Craig Ritter, delivering the keynote address to start off the day and get everyone in that AEP zone. Then we move on to carrier presentations, and the carriers differ depending on the market, so the schedule there does vary from location to location. In addition to formal presentations, the summits also feature an expo area where you can chat with carrier reps face-to-face, maybe meeting them for the first time. And the expo room is where you'll find me and some other members of our marketing team here at Ritter. So if you're headed to the summits, I'll be in Maryland, Philadelphia, and Harrisburg in August and then in New Jersey and New York in September. For more details on the official dates of those summits, and more importantly, to register, you can head to summits.ridderim.com and complete the registration. If you've been struggling with your marketing or have questions for our team, we will have people there who can answer your questions. And of course, Our sales staff and the carriers will also be on hand to answer specific carrier and plan-related questions you might have. And a special message to agents who are already registered to attend the summits. I highly recommend following along with our podcast. 
I hear that there are more details to come on the summits as well as supporting our show, which also, 10 out of 10, I do recommend. If you have questions about the summits, we would be happy to answer those for you. Just send us an email at asgpodcast at ridderim.com or give us a call on the hotline and leave a message. While we're on the subject of reaching out, shout out to Oscar for liking our episode on effective marketing strategies for insurance agents. Thanks for the love, Oscar. If you missed that episode, we will be linking to it in the notes. And a reminder that if you like one of our episodes, ask a question, send us an email, or leave us a review in Apple or Spotify, you'll get a shout out on the show, just like Oscar. Rupel recommends. First things first, I have to say, it's been one week on threads and I'm still really enjoying the experience. I can't say that the app has been out long enough or that it's filled out enough for a full review just yet, but for what it is right now, I can see the potential. Initially, Meta has done a great job of getting people to download the app and get on the platform. This week, the conversation has largely been around whether Meta will be able to retain users and scale the app's features. And I guess that all depends on Meta, if they truly want to be a Twitter alternative or if they'd like to try and create something else. With just one week in, It's already a friendlier and more fun place to be than Twitter with a little bit more interaction. Moving on to streaming picks for July. At the top of my list, and this one actually came out last month on Netflix, Nimona. It's the story of a knight framed for murder, befriended by a shape-shifting girl, and their adventures to clear his name. Nimona is beautifully animated, something I am always a sucker for, and it's a great story about perspective and otherness, and it also has a great comedic through line. Other Netflix releases, July 7th marked the release of The Outlaws, which I would describe as a cross between Meet the Parents and Ocean's Eleven. It stars Pierce Brosnan and Ellen Barkin as The In-Laws, and Adam Devine as The Son-In-Law, future husband of Nina Dobrev's character. And then on July 27th, I know Tina is looking forward to this one, Season 3, Volume 2 of The Witcher. Moving over to Disney+, Plus on Wednesday this week, the U.S. got 10 more episodes of Bluey. We absolutely love this show in my house. But I am kind of sad that 10 episodes only amounts to a little bit over an hour of new Bluey content. And then on July 19th, more episodes of Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. I know we're getting closer to having all of the episodes in Season 5, but I have honestly completely lost track of where we're at in the storyline here. On Max, which I'm not subscribed to... HGTV is releasing a four-part limited edition series, The Barbie Dreamhouse Challenge, to go along with the release of the Barbie movie in theaters on July 21st. 
Barbie is inescapable this summer, and honestly, I'm curious to see how the Barbie Dreamhouse concept turns out in real life. Still not sure if I'll be going to see the movie in theaters or waiting until it comes out on streaming, but I've got my fingers crossed for a better set of streaming picks come August. Maybe that's an overall hint, though, to embrace summer and go out and touch some grass. That's all I've got for this week. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay healthy, stay hydrated, and stay safe out there. We will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing, an integrity company. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing by Tina Lamaru. Podcast design by Urban Rivera. Artwork by Vivian Zhao. Follow along with us wherever you like to listen. 